Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. Learn more about them at malkasports.com. A remarkable guest for you this week, Molly Bloom, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, and subject of the book and movie Molly's Game. She's got a remarkable story if you've seen the movie Molly's Game. She's played by Jessica Chastain. The movie also features Idris Elba and Kevin Costner. When I think of resilience and someone who basically takes on any challenge that has ever come their way in life, and boy, Molly Bloom has had a lot of challenges physically and business-wise and just in life, and she's overcome every challenge, and her mentality is just keep plowing through and keep grinding, and I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. And when you told me you had uh, Molly coming up, I was so excited because the movie is great, but her story is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you keep hearing these things she's talking about. You're like, this didn't happen. This didn't happen, but it really happened. So just a fascinating story. Yeah. And I don't want to give it all away here in the open, but essentially, you know, she comes from a high achieving family and lots of pressure on her from her dad to be a high achieving skier. Uh, She has very successful brothers and, you know, they had no choice but to be high achievers. And she was uh, on the U.S. ski team. She had a horrific accident that ended her career. And you fast forward, she starts running these card games, buy-ins $250,000. You can lose $100 million in a night. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Toby Maguire, Alex Rodriguez, tech firm startup, CEOs. I mean, it was just a who's who coming to her games. And, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know the rest of the story and we'll discuss it in this interview. But, uh, you know, it's quite a story. It really is a story fitting for a, a major motion picture. But even getting the major motion picture filmed and done and getting Aaron Sorkin on board was a, a challenge for Molly. And she got that done. She's going to be hosting a new podcast actually starting today called Torched, which is available on podcast platforms everywhere. She's got a new book coming out, a second book called Powerful. So this is just an amazing human being. Uh, She's overcome addiction and she's going to be a mom soon. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Molly Bloom. 
Yeah, no, it's just a fascinating interview. Great story. And she's just so uh, easy to talk to. And you can tell she just has so much wealth of knowledge behind these stories and persistence, like you said, and getting through things and overcoming so many obstacles. So yeah, tune in, stick around. This is going to be a fun. All right. Before we get to the conversation with Molly, I want to let you know that this edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Roan. They're our new official menswear partner. I absolutely love their clothing. I wear it every day. Some of the things in my closet right now, I've got the commuter pant. I've got the commuter long sleeve shirt. I've been wearing the golf shirt, uh, the spar jogger pants. I never want to take them off. If I could just wear those pants every day, I would do that. Griggs, I know you've got some items too that you've been enjoying. Man, they are great. I, I agree. You can wear them all day long. It's like they're, they're comfortable to sit on the couch, but they're also classy enough to wear out. And uh, yeah, I got a pair of the sweatpants joggers and I am already looking at the website for the next round of order because uh, yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting and most comfortable performance driven clothing for men. They've really figured this out. I think we've kind of had, uh, you know, we've progressed with clothing over the time. And, you know, Roan definitely is my favorite company that I've ever worked with as far as menswear is concerned. And I think you'd love their clothing too. So here's the deal for sports business radio listeners. Go to Roan.com. That's R-H-O-N-E.com. Enter the promo code SBR20, like sports business radio 20, SBR20 at checkout. You're going to save 20% off your purchase. That's Roan.com and enter promo code SBR20 at checkout. Coming up next, Molly Bloom. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. My guest is Molly Bloom, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, and subject of the book and movie Molly's Game. Molly has one of the most remarkable stories of any guest I've interviewed on this show in 18 years. In fact, her story is so amazing, Aaron Sorkin actually turned it into a movie. You can follow her on social media at I am Molly Bloom. Molly, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? What an intro, Brian. <laughs> like I said, I mean, your story, I've seen the movie, I've read the book. It's just when I think of one word to describe you, it's resilient. I mean, you have had the kitchen sink thrown at you in your life <laughs> and you just keep coming back and coming back. And uh, I just think it's remarkable. Thank you very much. You told me uh, when I reached out to you that you're expecting a baby in a month. So let's start with how are you feeling? Well, I've definitely felt better in my life. I'm super <laughs> excited. Um, we've got three weeks to go, and it feels like I've been pregnant for three years. But I'm so excited. I mean, it was a tough road to get here, and I, you know, I, life's about to change. Yeah, but it's going to change for the better. I think so. I think so. But, um, you know, like just it's it's such a it's such a huge thing, and and. It's one of those things that you can't prepare for. And I'm like such a research junkie. I like to be very prepared for things. And so I got all the gear, but you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm a dad. So okay. it's exactly what you just said. You can do all the prep in the world that you want. Right. And there's going to be things that happen. And you're like, I never saw this coming or I prepared <laughs> and it still happened anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I would just say, Keep uh, keep uh, flexible, and and your resilience is going to help you because uh, you know there's going to be challenges along the way. And I want to start there because you grew up in such a high achieving family, and I know 
you know, for myself, I've taken some of what I learned from my parents and some of it is like, hey, great, I'm going to use that in life and other, I'm not going to do it the same way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so as you're getting ready to enter motherhood, like what have you learned from this high achieving family of yours that you want to bring with you to motherhood? Yeah, I've thought a lot about that. Um, you know, my, my parents parented from very distinct positions. My dad was be in the pursuit of excellence all the time. Um, do not play a victim role ever. Don't let fear uh, sideline you. And my mom was be kind, your name and your reputation matters, um, you know, have integrity. And they were both really passionate about that. And I think both of those things really shaped and molded us. Um, and so I definitely want to emulate that stuff. I don't know if I'll be as intense as my dad was necessarily, <laughs> but, um, but I think that the fundamental lessons that he imparted were awesome and made us better. Um, and I think, you know, something he says all the time is he says, you have to love your kids enough to not always be their best friend, you know, to, to, to prepare them for life is not always the most popular thing to do. And then that really resonates. So in one of your Twitter posts to your dad on father's day, you thanked him for constructive suffering in order to achieve excellence. And, you know, again, I'm a dad. And I, I really uh, took interest in what does that mean? What is constructive suffering? I think it's the work that you have to do to become excellent at anything. It's the discipline. It's the moving outside of your comfort zone. You know, we were we were really taught that, you know, when you're going out and it's below zero and you're on the mountain and you're skiing moguls, which is a ridiculously painful sport for anyone. And, you know, you're falling over and over and over and over again. It's easy to let your mind tell you, this is stupid. Why would I do this? I'm just hurting myself. You know, I'm just, it, this is painful. But, you know, we were really, we were really instructed that, that that type of suffering is constructive and leads to new skills you know, f further intelligence, if you're talking about academics and, and, and that getting pounded into our head that being uncomfortable is part of life and it's part of achievement, I think is really important because it's really easy to just buy into those messages, especially as a kid, that this is hard and I don't want to do this. But to, to ride through that, to stick with it and then see what's on the other side at a young age was, you know, tra transformative. How much of your competitive comes from you had these two high achieving brothers as well. And, you know, clearly the movie and the book brings that out. Yeah. I think it was nature and nurture. I think I came into the world who, who I was. I mean, I remember even before sports were a big deal, we'd have those field days at, at school where you have the day off and you just do fun races. And I'd be like, up the night before puking because I wanted to win, you know? Um, and then as we got older and sports and academics and, and basically anything that could have a competitive nature uh, was interpreted like that. And my brothers, you know, my brother Jordan is an absolute genius, Harvard professor, cardiothoracic surgeon at Massachusetts General. Jeremy was an athletic phenom, you know, number one in the world and skiing at 18 years old. And so, to say the bar was high is, is, is really <laughs> understating it. So the competitive nature combined with my dad's sort of like, you know, passion for 
competition and and then also these these two little brothers who are just phenoms um was you know quite a formula well the other part of your story too and this is what i think maybe most remarkable of all is when you were younger you had this excruciating back surgery and most people after that surgery molly they're like you know what I'm taking it easy. You know, maybe I'll do some jogging or I'll ride a bike. You pick mogul skiing. <laughs> like you just said, it it kicks your rear constantly. What were you thinking? It was because it was such a fundamental part of our family. You know, we, that's what we did. We were mogul skiers and I couldn't see any other way, even though I had just had 12 vertebrae in my, in my spine fused and two metal rods and, and, you know, doctors and coaches and parents were like, Nah, maybe this isn't, you know, this isn't the right move for you. I just, I couldn't see not being part of that. You know, you're 12, so you just don't know. <laughs> like if I had that surgery now, you wouldn't see me on the moguls. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. So fast forward to the Olympic trials and you have this horrific skiing accident that essentially ended your career. Walk our audience through, people who may not have seen the movie or read the book, what happens between the end of your skiing career and fast forward, you're you're running these card games, $250,000 buy-in, people are winning and losing $100 million. Your life went from I'm a competitive skier to I'm running the most expensive card games in the world. Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a plan, right? And I and I I just didn't think that there was anything that was going to deter my plan. My plan was to make the U.S. ski team, which I did, to go to the Olympics, um, and then to go to law school. And you know, I I really sp- thought I that was it. I thought I knew what, I, what the rest of my life was going to look like at 18. When skiing didn't work out, I decided I was going to take a year off between going to law school. Cause I just wanted to like relax and be a kid and, you know, be warm. So I went to LA and I, you know, I didn't just go to LA. I went to LA reeling, you know, heartbroken, pissed off at life, uh, kind of primed for a rebellion. And so when one of my jobs became serving drinks at this high stakes poker game with these people who I'd only seen on on television and, and read about in newspapers. And it, you know, it's not just the A-list celebrities, it's heads of some of the biggest investment banks, politicians, uh, people who just, you know, had unicorns in the tech space. And and it was, God, it was an incredible access to information and capital and power and then in this world that I had never seen. And I thought, um, I don't just want to serve drinks in this room. Like I wanna, I wanna own this room. Imagine the power, the access I could have if I owned these games. And that's kind of how it started. A, a bit of a, a rebellion and then um, and then also just this fascination with a world unlike anything I'd ever seen. So I would um, have to imagine that, you know, you talk about being an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's like the fast track master class to becoming an <laughs> entrepreneur. You're going from, oh, I'm serving drinks at these games to... I'm running the games and eventually serving as the bank with people winning and losing a hundred million dollars in a night. Right. Yeah. No. And I, you know, that was a, that was also a great discovery that, oh, okay, this is what I'm good at. I'm, I'm good at being an entrepreneur. I'm good at thinking on my feet and, and structuring things and not having a roadmap and figuring it out. 
because I really didn't know what I was good at. Like I was headed to law school because at the dinner table, my dad said, you like to read and argue. Maybe you should be a lawyer. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, you know, that was the, the genesis of it. And I just didn't consider it. I'm like, okay, so that's what I should do. So, I mean, the, there's something very exciting about the freedom. How intoxicating was it as you kept going along? And again, you've got all these powerful people coming to your card games in LA and eventually New York. Walk us through that process of, I mean, in the movie, it looks like it got to a point where maybe it got a little bit out of control. (laughs) Yes, it did. Um, But yeah, I mean, intoxicating is the perfect word. I was 25 years old. I was making millions of dollars um, and, you know, sort of had all this access and was learning about all these different sectors from the people who ran them like that to me, you know, I've always been, um, I've always, always been a learner and an information junkie. And just to be able to get those insights and learn about things was also extremely compelling. And in the beginning, I think I had my feet on the ground. You know, I was like, I'm going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to create this network. And then I'm going to leverage this into something else, you know, cut to like eight years later, I'm still in it. And I, I've completely like lost that sort of clarity as to who I was and what I was doing because it was no longer about, let me be a scrappy entrepreneur and, and, and get this education and then do something smarter. It was like, I want more money. I want more games. I want more power. I don't ever want to be part of a normal life. It's fine living at night. It's fine staying up for three days at a time. You know, I had completely become someone different and there was just, I, I could have said it because I knew it sounded like the right thing to say that, you know, I'm, I'm next year I'm leaving next year I'm leaving. But if I'm being honest, I was never leaving. I would have been up all night just being worried about being the bank. <laughs> 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 but, you know, you, you said, you know, you were taking pills, you were drinking, you were trying to avoid the Italian mob who in the movie, if it's true, and I have no reason to believe it's not, they eventually caught up with you and, and physically assaulted you in your apartment. This is really crazy stuff, Molly. Yeah, no, I know. It's so crazy. You know, being, being, 10 years out from it and and even telling the story is insane but yeah that absolutely happened you know this guy came into my apartment he put a gun in my mouth he God. beat me up um he took everything out of my safe and before he left he said you know we'll be in touch and if you tell anyone about this we know where your family lives in Colorado i mean it was absolutely terrifying and i was com- you know i could call the cops i couldn't tell anyone i was completely alone in it I, it was so dark it had gotten so dark so how in that moment do you go forward? Because again, that's enough to like end a lot of people and, and you know, just put them into a downward spiral. How did you come out of that? Well, I was in the downward spiral for sure, but I, I and I lucked out of that one because what happened is a couple of weeks later, uh, I guess there was the, the biggest mob related takedown in New York City history that they arrested 125 people. And I never heard from those guys again. Um, and I just kept running games. So at what point do you say, all right, I can't run games anymore? Well, it took it, it took a, a much bigger force than I. It took the, the United States government <laughs> pushed me off. <laughs> so I, my games got raided in 2011. The feds seized all my assets and what's called asset forfeiture. And, and, and in that type of forfeiture, they don't have to prove that, that you're guilty. 
Um, they just take it. And then if you want to go sue them or fight that to get it back, you can. But by this point, I was making my money illegally. So I really didn't have a, a leg to stand on. Um, you know, for, for seven years, I did it legally and then turned the corner. Um, and then two years later, unbeknownst to me, I thought, you know, because my attorneys had spoken to the 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 government and they said, look, we're not coming after her right now. You know, we'll let you know if something changes. And two years later, after you know living with my mom and my grandmother in the mountains of Colorado up at 9,000 feet where there's <laughs> really no way to get into trouble, even if you wanted to, I got arrested in the middle of the night by 17 FBI agents holding machine guns and high beam flashlights and they put this piece of paper in front of me that said the United States of America versus Molly Bloom. And that was just a moment. Oh my God. Yeah. So, okay. Give me your feelings at that moment. You said it's a moment. Like, are you terrified? Are you upset and angry? Like what's your feeling in that moment? Okay. Well, my feeling in that moment. So I had this dog, this beagle that was my soulmate and she lived to be 21 and she lived for food. And I was like, I need to figure out how Lucy's going to get fed because she has this special food that needs to be heated up. And shout out to the Los Angeles FBI because this really nice lady prepared her food for me. Oh, my God. So that was like my priority number one. And then and then they took me to jail and they put me in this cell and I'm shackled and handcuffed. And I'm like, how long am I going to be here? And why am I here? You know, because if you're if you're out of the game for two years and you don't hear anything. Right. It, it's like all of a sudden you have wandered into the twilight zone. And I, and then I was more scared than I've ever been in my whole life. And also more confused. You know, I was running a game of Texas Hold'em. I always thought at some point cops would come into the room, you know, maybe someone would reach out to my attorney, but 17 FBI agents. Yeah. Machine guns, middle of the night stuff you see like in big drug busts and, and, you know, like terrorist organizations, like it was crazy. So you found a good lawyer who took on your case yeah. and is played by Idris Elba in the movie. Yep. And, you know, it really seems like this person helped save you and, and navigate no you question. through all of this. No question. I went to him. I didn't have any money for a retainer. Um, he worked at one of the most prestigious criminal defense firms in, in New York City. And he was a former federal prosecutor with an amazing reputation with the government, which was critical for me, you mm -hmm. know, because to have, it, I, I think it was really important to not, not that I could have afforded these people to not get one of these hotshot lawyers. that's constantly getting people off, but to get someone who has integrity and, and who's trusted, you know, and, and Jim Walden was that person. And he took on my case and just navigated it beautifully. And, championed me, you know, and, and I, like, I've never felt like such a, I've never felt so ashamed, so humiliated, like such a piece of crap in my life. And to have somebody with the, the sort of like the integrity and dignity of Jim Walden fighting for you was an, was incredible and, and was restorative. So at the end, they basically, you know, you pled guilty and, you know, Jim and others were, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you protecting these people and their names and their reputations and their stories who played in these high stakes games? And I give you a lot of credit for that because there's a lot of people that would have thrown them under the bus to save their own rear end. And in yeah. the end, 
the judge says, look, she hasn't, I mean, I love the line in the movie. There's people a uh, stone's throw from here in wall street that are doing much worse than this. You know, why are we going to take it out on, on this woman here? And I think that was exactly the right thing to do. But I mean, when that decision comes down, you probably just, it was the probably the biggest sense of relief ever. Oh my God. I lost my, I lost my feet, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I really thought I was going to prison because the prosecutors really wanted me to become a confidential informant hmm. and they're willing to give money back and keep me out of jail and, and all these things. And, and I turned it down and, and they weren't happy about that. And so generally what happens is sentencing is based on the prosec- prosecutor's recommend, you know, recommendation. And I really thought that I was going to jail prison. Everyone did. Everyone in my family, I think even Jim thought that there was a good chance. And so, you know, that whole year I spent trying to mentally prepare, okay, I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to get a, my business to whatever, you know, you're trying to figure out how you can survive losing your freedom. And so I'm just standing there hoping that it's not a big number. And, and when, and when judge Furman, you know, kind of made his decision, I was, I, you know, I lost my feet. Like I just couldn't believe it. And yeah, it was such a huge relief. I mean, listen, losing your money sucks. I logged into my bank account. It read negative $9,999,099. That was a terrible day. It is nothing compared to the idea of losing your freedom. Nothing. Okay. So I've got to ask, and and like, I've had Michael Vick on this show and, you know, Michael Vick was making $120 million was the face of the NFL. And I asked him, like, you're laying in your bed in prison night one. What's going through your head? So when you look at your bank account, yeah, when you look at your bank account and it says negative $9.9 million, (laughs) oh, my God, Molly. Yeah. How do you – I mean, I I would be paralyzed with fear. But like you said, at least you're not losing your freedom and going to prison. No, it was a devastating moment. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, and then – you know, what helped me, I think, deal with it is I got sober. I went to rehab and I got sober and I got my life back um, to some degree, you know, I was, and then, you know, I, I, what I would always say to myself is like, you did it once you can do it again. You can make money again, you know, but to, to have that sort of like feeling of being back in control of yourself and not not dependent on substances and and not dependent on the 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 fickle whims of whether a gambler is going to pay you and all that chaos you know in so many ways i got that and i was living in colorado again so um you know that made it easier and and then just also having that growth mindset having that mindset of like okay it's just money we can make it again you know yeah well again i give you so much credit for your resilience because a lot of people wouldn't have had that attitude. So I want to ask you about the movie because yeah. I've, I've heard different things about it. Um, I heard it was not an easy thing to get made because the government wasn't thrilled that this movie was going to get made. But eventually Aaron Sorkin says, all right, I'll make it. They cast Jessica Chastain to play your role. Kevin Costner, Idris Elba. It's a fantastic movie. But how do you go from I write the book to trying to get the movie made? When I you know, after I got sentenced and I realized I wasn't going to jail, there was a moment of massive relief. And then it was like, but now the work starts because Mm -hmm. I'm 35 years old. I'm millions of dollars in debt. I'm a social pariah. 
you know, this had been all over the tabloids painting these pictures of me that were less than flattering. I'm a convicted felon. You know, like now the work starts. How do you come back from that? And I went home and kind of, you know, got into an entrepreneurial mindset and, and thought like, okay, it's the story. You know, the story is the monetizable asset. The story can has the potential to do reputational repair. It has the potential to garner a large sum of money that can at least start to address this financial burden. And so I wrote the book and then I took it to Hollywood and I was getting a ton of meetings and I was getting an amazing response in the room and then everyone would just pass. And finally, I asked someone straight up, "What? why, why does this happen? Why do you look so engaged and then pass a couple weeks later? And he said, you know, there are a lot of really powerful people in DC, in Los Angeles, in New York City that don't want this movie to get made and they are running interference on it. And, you know, that was pretty daunting, (laughs) but you know, there's something incredible about survival mode. You're just absolutely fearless. Mm. And, um, so it's just like, all right, back to the drawing board. Like what's, what's the more mercenary plan? Like what's, how do I, how do I outwit this? Right. And through from all my meetings, I realized that every in every meeting they're like, well, this is this is all about finding the right writer. You know, this is all about finding like the 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 prolific writer. And so I made this short list of writers and directors who really I, I didn't think have to play politics in Hollywood. And if you could get them creatively engaged, you had a really good chance of cutting through all that muck. And Aaron Sorkin was on the top of that list for me. He's my favorite writer, you know, starting with A Few Good Men and Social Network and The West Wing. And, you know, if you look at Aaron Sorkin's track record and you're making a bet, which anytime you're doing business, you are, he's an excellent bet. And so I started trying to get a meeting with him and it was not easy. And I I got the meeting and I I remember walking into that meeting, like my legs are shaking, but I have my best game face I can muster and I tell him my story and I'm trying to like feign confidence and not act like my life is as <laughs> freaking destroyed as oh it is. Oh my God. You know? Like I'm not living with my mom at 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was done, he said something so hilarious. He looked at me like just deadpan and he was like, well, I'll tell you one thing, kid. I've never met someone so down on their luck and so full of themselves. <laughs> oh my God. That's quite a you line. Know, well, he's, he's, he's got a lot of them, you know, he's just, he's a, he's a wordsmith, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, and, and that's like the quintessential story of like, you gotta fake it till you make it, you know, you gotta just stay in the game and believe in yourself, even when there's maybe nothing to believe in, you know? I thought Jessica Chastain did a great job playing so you. Did I. How oh, much yeah. time did you spend with her to prepare her for that role? You know, not, not that much. I, uh, a, a couple days, but I think what, and she's brilliant and, and so talented, but I think it was her brilliance and interpretation of the character. But also I spent a lot of time with Aaron, a lot of time with Aaron on the, uh, working on that, you know, working on the script. And then he was also the director. So he had gotten super familiar with the sort of the way that I speak, the cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think between the two of them, I mean, it was so weird sitting in that theater. <laughs> I was like, 
whoa, that's kind of me. It's really strange. Yeah. I mean, just listening to you talk right now, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you and Jessica sound alike as far as how I she know. spoke in the movie playing you. It's so weird. Yeah, it is. That's remarkable. Okay. So I've got to ask you, there's a scene in the movie and it's Jessica Chastain and Kevin Costner, who plays yeah. your dad, sitting in yeah. Central Park. Yep. And he says, look, you know, he's a psychologist. I'm going to drill this down to a three-minute session. <laughs> and he drills it down and basically describes you and, and how you got to be feeling the way that you are. And I thought it was a brilliant scene. Did that really take place in real life? So the event took place in real life, and it took place in California, not Central Park. Okay. Um, it took place on the beach, so it was still somewhat cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Some of my dad's answers were different. And the one that I think is most noteworthy is, you know, I'd lived under this assumption that was very painful that my dad liked my brothers better than he liked me. Mm -hmm. And I think part of my motivation to go out and to make waves was to, you know, sort of satiate that. Um, That was something that was just very painful to me. And, and I, and I, I lived with it every day and I, I wanted to change it. When he, said to you like i love you and and you know reassured you of his love for you that had to have really been a big moment for you well it was a big moment for me and then he described and then he he told me why he was like well first of all he's like i many times i liked your brothers better than i liked you because you were a pain in the butt which i was (laughs) (laughs) he said but I love you so much and the same. And I was harder on you than I was on them because I think the world is a tough place and I think it's tougher for women. And so it all made, it started to all make sense, you know, Hmm. why he was the way he was. And I saw my dad for the 30 year old man who's trying to figure out how to raise a daughter and trying to figure out how to make her tough, you know? Yeah. All right. We've got a few minutes left. I could talk to you for literally hours, but I know (laughs) you probably have other things to do. You've got some new projects coming up. Torched is a new podcast, Torched, and it debuts this week on podcast platforms everywhere. Tell us about this project because it looks really unique. I don't think I've seen anything like this. Yeah, it's cool. It's It premieres January 18th, and I'm, my partners are SiriusXM, Stitcher, and Film Nation, and then Gilded Audio is the producer, and they're great. And we're telling stories about Olympic scandals and controversies, but we're really going in deep. You know, we're like talking to the people that were involved. We're talking to experts. I am endlessly fascinated with this sort of intersection of human ambition, high stakes, and the human condition. And, and, seeking to understand what motivates people to make bad decisions or to walk into danger or whatever, you know? And, and so it's very entertaining. It's got, it's got politics, it's got world affairs, you know, has all these dynamics because it's the Olympics, but it's also got a lot of humanity because we get to talk to people who have had 10, 20 years of time to process it and kind of understand why. Can you give us any kind of a teaser as to like some of the yeah. topics that you might cover? Yeah, no, these, these stories are incredible. I mean, we were, we're, I got to sit down with uh, Greg Luganis hmm. and, you know, Greg dove at the, Greg's the greatest diver to ever live. And he went to the Olympics and um, HIV positive. And, and at that time, 
that was, you know, pe- pe- that culturally we, we treated those people like lepers and, but he wanted to, you know, he wanted to realize his last Olympics. And so, and he dove and hit his head and there's blood in the pool and he had to make this decision. Do I dive again? And do I tell anyone? And he didn't tell anyone for years, including the doctor that stitched him up who didn't wear gloves, who was a good friend of his. And, mm. and so, and he's hiding the fact that he's gay and he's hiding the fact that he has HIV and then he just can't take it anymore. And so I think it was like 10 years later, I can't remember the time frame, but um, he comes out and, and he gets really candid with us and talks, talks us through that. And then there's, you know, Boris Onoshenko who figured out how to electrically hotwire his sword. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. So he like could win this, this, one of the divisions of the, um, in his sport, which he was a pentathlete. So, I mean, or the, 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 the 72 basketball Munich game in which the, the Americans were just robbed. Like it was, the, it's the biggest upset in basketball history and have to this day refused to take that silver medal. It's in their will that no one can take it. So, you know, we're just telling these crazy stories and we're getting to speak to these people who've had a whole, you know, who've, who've sort of like are very open. And, and that's, that's what we're looking for is we're looking for people who are not going to gloss over it, but who are going to go deep with us. Which really is people like you, right? I mean, you're kind of <laughs> yeah. interviewing people who have the same kind of mentality and, and attitude that you have, right? Yeah. I mean, I think life is more interesting that way. Right. All right. So you have another book coming out too, I hear it called Powerful, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, what, what I've found, the world's gonna, the world brings everyone to their knees. It's constantly changing. It's full of tragedy. It's hard to manage. Um, it's also beautiful and exciting and adventurous. And I think what we need more than anything to get through it and to thrive is this ability to, to have power. I'm not, I'm not talking about like power over nations. I'm talking about this power over our instincts, over our emotions, over our thoughts, over our mindset, um, over our addictions. You know, the power to, to walk into a room and know who you are and the power to walk out of a room when, that, when it's time to do that. And there's a lot of discourse about power, about how to like overpower people and things. But truly, you know, it, it's about that inner power. And so it's everything I've learned from poker, athletics, and then especially being rock bottom and having nothing, no one coming to save you, no opportunities and, and, and figuring out how to find that true raw inner power. And it's, it's really, it's a practical book um, about sort of the the measures that I think people can take and, and kind of a a program they can have for themselves. And it's a really important story for me to tell. I'll tell you what, I cannot wait to read it. If there's anyone in this world qualified to write that book, it's you. <laughs> when does it come out? I, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a docu-series uh, along with it and a podcast. So there's a couple moving parts and I'm about to have a, a, a little human. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think like maybe 12 months, maybe a year, maybe in a year. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, Molly, you are an amazing person. Uh, <laughs> I, I Like I said, I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone in 18 years of doing this show that has a story like yours. Very Your sweet. resilience is to be admired. Um, you know, your mentality of just overcoming and 
getting to the next thing and being successful at everything that you do is admirable. And, you know, I just appreciate you making the time to uh, join me here on Sports Business Radio. Like I said, we could talk for hours, but, uh, you know, I'm sure you have other things to do. Well, I'm panting a little bit because my like lungs are in my throat. <laughs> but I could, under normal circumstances, we I could chat with you forever too. I just might not be able to breathe. <laughs> so, do you know boy girl yet, or are you waiting? Yeah, no, it's, it's a little girl. Oh my gosh! Congratulations. So, like Thank I said, you. I have a daughter. So uh, you do. Yeah, it's uh, you're blessed, and uh, you know I'm, I'm very very happy for you. I've read your stories of you know I know this wasn't an easy path for you, so, so I'm so happy. Happy that, uh, but you know, no surprise, right? Like you overcame right. and you figured out a way to make it happen, and and here you are. I'm ready for things to be a little bit easier, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's not going to be easier is you're not going to be sleeping a whole lot. So that's what I hear. Yeah, that's what I hear. You better you better try and get some sleep now because uh, you won't be getting very much sleep after your daughter <laughs> is born. It'll be like back to the poker days. Exactly. Well, Molly Bloom, author, podcaster, entrepreneur, check out her new podcast, Torched, on podcast platforms everywhere. Look for her book, Powerful, in about 12 months, and I can't wait to read that. And Molly, just the best of success to you moving forward, and thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks, Brian. It was a pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger here. In addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the co-founder of the consulting firm Everything is on the Record. Since 2007, we've been working with CEOs, corporate spokespeople, pro sports team owners, athletic directors, elite athletes, and coaches to help them navigate the tricky media and social media landscape. My business partner is Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. As part of a new partnership with e-learning platform Open Sesame, we are now offering many of our teachings via on-demand courses available on video. Courses include presenting your best self in a video meeting, your personal brand is connected to your employer's brand, pause before you post, text, and email, and scrubbing your social media. To take any of our insightful video courses on demand, visit opensesame.com and type in the words, everything is on the record in the search. That's opensesame.com. To learn more about how we can provide a customized training session for your organization, visit everythingisontherecord.com. That's everythingisontherecord.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.